front row. Lori, what time do you need our volunteers tonight? Four o'clock, if you are uh, helping with the welcome table as an act. This is not our only act of worship as a church. As a continuing act of worship today, we are serving a meal at Central Christian Church, the big church that's right behind McDonald's on Van Buren, the big one. Um, as an act of worship, we are preparing and we are serving food. If you want to help serve, four o'clock, we will be there. We could use your assistance. The more, the merrier. Um, Open your Bible to Psalm 90. It has been my effort in the next last couple weeks and moving forward to show you that this journey of wisdom we are about to go on. King's kids, I will dismiss you in a minute. This journey of wisdom is all throughout Scripture. This morning, Psalm 90 is written by Moses. So pay attention. What verse are you beginning in? 12. Verse 12. Psalm 90, verse 12. Rylan, thank you. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and as for as many as years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. What an amazing prayer. Thank you. King's kids, if you're in second grade on down, you get to go be with Graydon this morning. I have no idea what he has planned for you. It's always an adventure. <clears throat> While you're still there in Psalm 90, Look at verse 1. Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. A thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Pay attention to all these hyperlinks, reminders, words and phrases that go all the way back to Genesis. God is our dwelling place. That's what he starts with. That's going to be our a big theme this morning. Before the mountains were brought forth, he mentions creation. Verse 3. You return man to dust. Dust is a symbol of our mortality. But then as we read earlier in verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Why does Moses feel impelled to pray to God to give him, to give everybody a heart of wisdom? Because we lost it. God made humanity with a heart of wisdom, but we are going to lose it. Now, fast forward, we're going to lose it next week. This week is Genesis chapter 2. But I just want you to see from Moses' perspective, gaining a heart of wisdom 
is central to a life that honors and pleases God. You got that? So who is this God of wisdom? Genesis 1, we saw he's awesome. This week, what is this God's wise plan? What is the wisest course for humanity to live out in order to connect with God? Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These first three verses are the actual ending of Genesis chapter 1. No morning and no evening. Did you catch that? I didn't catch that for a very long time. Why? Because God rests on the seventh day. We exist in that rest. And every time the rest of the Bible, where, where God is inviting you into his presence, he's inviting you to rest in him. That's why it's there. That's where we exist. We exist. All of creation is living in the seventh day. God has made everything pause now he's resting he's ruling he's reigning he's interacting he's communicating but he's not creating new things he's letting creation move forward he's holding all things together he upholds all things by the power of his hand by the word of his mouth but he's letting creation go through its cycles morning and evening remember The plants were made with seed of their own kind. The animals reproduced after their own kind. God started that. He still holds that together. Nothing can exist without his power, without his word. But we exist. We're living out that. He's calling all of us, whatever age you are, to enter into his presence and live life with him. Have you ever thought of your life like that? Are you just living your life and then you're asking God into your heart and then you're asking God to bless your job and then you're asking, you're acting like God is out there and you want him in here when he's acting like he is here and he wants to be with you. He wants you to join him. That's a shift in thinking. That's what we're seeing in Genesis. God is inviting all things, creating all things to exist with him, his presence. Now let me read verses 4 through 14. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, And there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land, was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed Adam, or man, of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Did you even catch that, that last song? That whole theme, he is our breath. That is a Genesis theme. That is a very beginning theme. And it's calling us to remember 
with every breath, with every cough, with every wheeze, with, with every, with everything. He's holding you together. You owe him that. Verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Bedellium, onyx stone are there. The name of the second is the river Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east out of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Write this down. Self-sustaining creation is what we see in these verses within God's presence. God is the one who holds all these things together. God is the one who made all things this way. And He is the one who is active in the presence of all things. He's, he's repeated over and over again. You don't just have Genesis 1, God made everything. Genesis 2, like, He is there. The Lord God had not caused it to rain. Then God forms man. And then God plants the garden. Then God makes the trees to spring up. And then God, and then God, like, you're supposed to get that. This book, these verses, these chapters are about God being present in all of his creation. God's presence is the emphasis here. I wrote two sermons accidentally this week. And I deleted the first sermon. You're getting the second sermon except for one nugget, because there's so many nuggets. You want, we want to talk about, what does this mean, bone of my bones? What does this mean, these are the generations? What does this mean, it didn't rain? Those are, again, these are all the how questions. Even I still default on gravitating towards all the, show me all the details. There's so many nuggets. I got one nugget for you. And you caught it while I was reading in verse 9. The tree of life is in the middle of the garden, and also the tree of the knowledge, the Hebrew words are tov and ra. Good and bad. Evil is too heavy of a word to use there. Because ra is not a morally charged word. Just like if you think about it, good is not a morally charged word. It depends how you use it. When you're talking of things people do, then it becomes morally charged. He did good. He did bad. He did evil. That, it can be implied there, but it also could be you burned the dinner. That would be you did bad. But is that a sin? Well, no. You just did bad. So good can be used. I had a good hamburger. Does that mean that hamburger was morally upright? No. I had a bad hamburger. That hamburger's going to hell. No, well, maybe. But no, you see how you, we use good, and it doesn't always, it doesn't 
always apply to a moral situation. Same with this word raw, that is this tree of knowledge of good and bad. It's a tree that helps you understand the best things to do and choose. Here's, here's, here's the takeaway. The tree is not evil. Get that locked in. And this story is not about a tree. Chapter 3 is not about a tree. Even if there was no tree, humanity would have found a way to exercise their selfishness and push God away. The tree represents us and our human capacity to choose God or to push God away. The tree represents our hearts. Whether it's an apple tree or a pear tree is irrelevant. This is not a story about trees. God is going to use that tree, and trees, by the way, become a huge theme. The first tree mentioned is the tree of life. That theme is going to be brought up over and over again, especially in the wisdom book we are going to look at. Those who have God are represented as growing, flourishing, and being this tree of life. It's the tree that is always in God's presence. It's the tree in the middle of the garden. It's the tree that never leaves God's presence. But a problem is going to happen. We'll get there next week. So I have more to say <laughs> about the trees next week. I just need you to understand uh, that this is a tree representing us and our capacity to do good and to do bad. Um, and let, let's do a brain experiment for just a second before I move on. Think of Adam and Eve's daily chores. So far, early in the story, their, their main chore is to tend and cultivate the garden. All right, we have some gardening to learn. Sweet. Let's suppose Adam plants some seeds too deep and they rot before they can sprout. That would be raw. That would be bad. And so next time, he's going to not plant them as deeply, and he's going to be good. Or let's suppose he has a plant growing up, and he doesn't water it enough, like a cranberry bush. Those things need to be flooded. So he just sprinkles the cranberry bush, and it dies. Bad. Morally evil? No. But the next time, he will do good. Or Eve, let's say in the course of... Um, Learning about animals, she uh, gets between a mother and her cubs accidentally, and she gets scratched. Or she just doesn't, you know, you don't, somebody had to learn this. You don't grab a cat by its tail. And she gets scratched. Raw. That's bad. But then you learn to do good. So... So in the course of everyday life, if they'll do what God told them to do, this is big, if they will do what God tells them to do, they are going to, as they obey God's command in their life, they're going to naturally learn a whole lot of good and bad. You got that? Without taking from the tree. If they'll just do what God tells them to do, they will naturally grow in wisdom. Adam and Eve will learn. They will learn good and bad every day as they follow God's will for their lives. And you need to understand that. Going to work is not a curse. 
Work-at-home mom is not a curse. Stay-at-home parenting. You know, you're learning to cook. You're learning to clean. You're learning to organize. And you're going to do some things wrong. Give yourself a break. You haven't committed an evil. But in the course of your life, as the life that God has put in front of you, now determining what is God's will for your life and where you need to be in your career path, we have a church. We have believers. We have a community to gain wisdom from together. But as you walk that path of the life that is right in front of you, raising those kids, going to that job, going to that school, that's your way of honoring God and learning. You're going to learn. It's so important that we learn how to learn. That we learn from life and grow. Write this down. God shares and imparts His wisdom to those who fear and love Him by living in His presence. God, He is, we've, we've seen this in Genesis 1. He is wanting to share Himself with all of His creation. That's why He's there. He's not distant, casting things down. He's not in a different galaxy, ordering somebody else to do things. He is active and present in Genesis, in His creation. And He shares and He imparts His wisdom, His way of doing things. To who? To those who fear and love Him. But they don't just say they fear and love Him. They actually go live out the fact that they fear and love Him. Why did Adam, we're about to read it, name the animals? God told him to. And as he does that, as he does his work with God, for God, and in God's presence, because he knows exactly what God wants him to do, he's going to grow in wisdom. And that is living in God's presence. And that is an uncommon way to see life. The Hebrew Bible, New Testament Christianity, present Jesus as God with us. Live like it. You work for Him. And that should change the way we work. It should change the way we go to school. It should change the way we do our chores. It should change the way we interact with our family members. It should change the way we interact with everybody at all times. Because you have no boss like that boss. It changes us. We are a different people, and this world is not our home. We live in a kingdom that is invisible and ruled and reigned by Jesus. The hard part is remembering that and living by faith instead of by just who's in front of you giving you your commands. God is going to use a lot of bad circumstances and even evil people to try to get your attention. Are you serving them, working for them, or are you working for Him? God will share, I need wisdom. Fear Him, love Him, live in His presence. And this is really going to shine in the book of Proverbs. <clears throat> And Job, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. And this tree is going to come up again. Because this tree represents my desire to gain wisdom on my terms without God's help. Write this down. 
outside of God's presence, we decide what is good and bad. And that's a terrible mistake. Anytime we make a decision without consulting God or living in God's presence, we are doing what we decide is good and bad, and that's always going to skew what is good and bad. Because we may choose something that's good for us or our family, but is that at the expense of somebody else's good and their family? Because you can find a lot of clever ways to make yourself money by taking advantage of other people. So what you're calling good, God would call bad. But you can learn from bad and balance it out. In your life, you're supposed to be learning some things. Let's read the last half of Genesis chapter 2. Write this down before we go. This is God's blueprint for humanity. God's blueprint for humanity. Look for these words as we read. Work, multiply, and rule. God's blueprint for humanity. It's going to be spelled out. He did actually spill the beans. God spelled it out in Genesis 1. I'm going to read 128. God blessed Adam and Eve, and he said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, have dominion. That's rule. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing. And I've given you all the plants. So God has already mentioned these things. We're getting some more details, however, in chapter 2. So verse 15. And the Lord God took Adam, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. There's work. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and bad you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It's not good that Adam should be alone. I will make him a savior fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called every living creature, that was its name. Adam gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a savior fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, God took one of his sides. Shoom. Foomp closed up the place with flesh, and the side that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man sang, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So here's God's blueprint. There's so many things we could talk about. I'm sticking with my main theme of wisdom. God's wise plan is for Adam and Eve to work together, multiply, and rule over nature together. They've started with a garden. How long is it going to take for them to fulfill this command? To spread this garden 
over the whole earth. It's God's command to two people. That's does God is God thinking ahead? <laughs> is does God have a grand plan and design in mind? Yes, but you have to start somewhere. This is a very long task, which to me has some serious implications. Here's the next blank. Work? It's going to have to be more extensive. Working is going to become more extensive. Humans are going to start uh, creating machines so they can farm more and more fields because there will be more and more people to feed. So the work is going to be more extensive. Besides that, just multiplying humans themselves is going to create bigger families, which will turn into cities, which will turn into nations. Multiplying is going to create some elaborate problems. Is there anything simple about a national government? <laughs> layer upon layer of bureaucracy and it becomes complicated because people are complicated. Becomes. And what about ruling? Ruling is going to become more and more time-consuming. As these humans figure out how many animals there are to rule over, how many different plants they have to cultivate and learn from, we are still discovering plants in the Amazon that have healing properties. We're still, we're still figuring stuff out about animals. Like people, It's going to be time-consuming. Somebody's going to have to specialize in botany. Somebody's going to have to specialize in veterinary medicine. Like, that's part of the plan. So here's my assumption. God is not written in here. Here's my assumption. God expects all of humanity to grow in the everyday knowledge of good and bad. He expects us to grow in our knowledge of good and bad all throughout life. So we can become a people who does more and more and more good for everybody. For all of creation and all of humanity within creation. Okay. So I'm assuming that humans need more instructions from God to make Genesis 1 and 2 universal. They're starting with the garden. God says, multiply, fill the earth. So God has a plan for this thing to go global. But that's going to get complicated. So I'm assuming Adam and Eve need to grow in wisdom. I'm assuming they have to. Now it's possible that Adam and Eve just stayed over here, could just stay over here. This is a possibility. Their own little garden. <laughs> have their kids, raise their family, take care of what's right around them, and then kick their kids out, right? And then the kids have to do their own thing, and then their grandkids have to do their own thing. It's possible God doesn't expect Adam and Eve to grow in any more wisdom or knowledge. They have enough to do the task at hand. But I'm seeing if this thing's going to go worldwide, all of humanity is going to have to grow in wisdom somehow, some way. How do we do that? Don't miss this. If all humanity would take this, this job of work, multiply, and rule seriously, 
It's not about a garden. It's not about trees. It's not about animals. God is asking them to spread and live in His presence so His presence goes with them and fills the whole earth. This whole story is about God wanting to use you and me to carry His presence into the whole earth, into every situation, wherever we go, whatever we do. And so I think kids, grandkids of Adam and Eve, they're going to need more of God's wisdom in order to work their very best, multiply, maintain decorum, and rule over all the plants and animals of the earth. They're going to need God's help. God does not remove himself from their lives. He's given them a task that actually is inviting them to take him with them and learn with his presence every day and all that they do. Here's some bullet points to summarize some big ideas. Genesis 1 and 2, God forms and fills creation to, the need, to fit the needs of creation. Oh, I forgot that one. I wanted, to, I wanted to reemphasize that. God shares and imparts his wisdom to those who fear and love him by living in his presence. Next slide, I got another one. Yeah. And this is carrying this idea. As we work, multiply, and rule in God's presence, with God's presence, we are using his communication. He's telling us, he's got so many communications on details of life, on marriage, on family, on finances, uh, on government. Lots. He's given us a lot of good things to do. If we'll listen to his communication, it will lead to communion, where we are able to spend more time with God. His end game is for all of creation to find union with him. That's what Jesus prays for in John 17. Jesus has only seen a little bit of communication and communion between himself and some limited disciples. But he, he, he takes the lid off that in John 17, and he's praying for what he knows God is going to bring forth. God, the reunion of heaven and earth. And this should change the way you read the end of the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is about restoring this Eden-like presence of God back and swallowing up the whole earth, overcoming death and sin, overcoming everything that is wrong, and God just washing over the earth with His presence. And it's a beautiful picture, but it's a, it's a getting back to Genesis 2. God is giving us the ideal. So the next blank, Genesis 1 and 2, God forms and fills creation. That's remarkable. If you're taking notes, you can put three by three on there. He forms three different categories, and then he fills it three times. Days 1, 2, and 3, he forms. Days 4, 5, and 6, he fills. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. And everything he forms and fills makes it an ideal habitation for humans. Then God brings, next word is equilibrium and balance to the creation. There is no chaos in our creation story. In fact, God calls it very good. Humans, 
are shown to have high status. God communicates directly with them and a very special function within creation because we are made in God's image and likeness. What does this mean? It means with high status and high function comes much responsibility. Peter Parker just popped into my head. Uh, yeah, and Tony Stark. Even in pop culture and in storylines, which m- with much power and ability comes much responsibility. That is a common thing. Because And here's the root. I, dig a little deeper. Why is that such a big idea? Because we know if we only use things for our good, we are selfish pigs that is a common theme if you only use your power your ability your knowledge your wisdom for your good you've missed the point of being a human exactly humans why do we have high status why do we have this function within creation to 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 work it multiply within it and rule over it so that it expands God's presence. What is so important about that? That's what we're made for. We have purpose and meaning. Next blank. Therefore, dignity and respect should flow out of our inherent value before God. All humans are very important to God. And we all have a function. But I'm too old, I can't go do things anymore. You're not too old. If you have God's presence with you, you're doing what you were created to do. But all I can do is pray. I wish more people had only that to do. Everybody who can do more than pray usually gets busy feeding themselves, clothing themselves, saving up money, paying their bills. <laughs> that, that, that's a big deal. We call that life. But that is not a godly life. If you come preoccupied, you become preoccupied with all the cares of the world. You have forgotten the presence of God. That's a dangerous thing. That's not just an Adam and Eve problem. That's me problem. I can get so caught up in what I see, what I want, and what I feel that I push God out of my life and I start living life on my own terms. That is not a life of wisdom. That is a life of knowledge. I can, I can get a lot of knowledge on good and bad and good and bad and I can use that knowledge to further myself and neglect everything else God has told me to do, and I'm missing His presence. It's a dangerous thing. We need to have dignity and respect for all human life because God has made us that way. This is God's wise plan. The, The question at the beginning was, what is God's wise plan? God's wise plan is to hand humanity a very good, and perfectly balanced creation where we can work, multiply, and rule. How would you fill in that blank? 
How do you think most people would fill in that blank? Let's try to get the wrong answer first. Humans are to work, multiply, and rule in order to spread. Hmm. Prosperity. We're supposed to make everybody rich, happy, and healthy. We're supposed to spread happiness on this planet. We're supposed to relieve all poverty. We're supposed to relieve all suffering. That, no, <clears throat> strike one. That's a, probably a top ten answer right there. <laughs> what else? If you were just sitting down to reading Genesis, maybe for the first time, and you only and you only saw the face value of this, well, peace. Yes, we're supposed to. We're just supposed to spread this this sense of ah oh, calmness. If we rule and reign and take care of the earth the way it's supposed to be, if we'll all recycle, reduce our carbon footprint, everything will calm down. Everything will restore back to this original, natural, Mother Earth equilibrium. That's not strike two. <clears throat> the first thing that popped in my mind was, Hey, we're supposed to work, multiply, and rule. If I'm going to be a literalist, we're supposed to spread the Garden of Eden. It's a story about a garden, right? We all need to get back to our roots. Land run. We're in the land. Like, perfect. Everybody get your square. We're going to give you 50 acres and a mule, and you're going to knock it out. And if everybody just stays on their spot, works it, everything's going to be okay. We're going to get back to the original intention of God. And this is not this is not a story about trees and snakes. This is not a story about a garden. What is this a story about? God and his his presence. Write that down. That's what we are to gain. We live in a in a fallen world where God has removed his actual physical presence, it was there in the beginning. We're going to see that. They are able to walk with God in the breath, in the cool of the day. When God starts doing crazy things for the nation of Israel, He is going to lead them in a pillar of fire. They're going to see His presence. When they finish building the, the tabernacle in the wilderness and then they dedicate a temple in Jerusalem, His physical presence is in the middle of the Holy of Holies. He is with them. He is our God. They are pumped. They are, and everything focuses in on God. That is Him reuniting heaven with earth. The whole temple is a miniature Garden of Eden. The whole structure of the, the Israelites in the wilderness is the Garden of Eden, and God's presence is in the middle, and all the attention flows inward. God is trying to get our attention now, Jesus has come because all the things God has tried have fallen short and we keep pushing him out, keep pushing him out. So now he is knocking on the door of each of us individually. And he wants to not start a new nation, but a new family. And he does it one person at a time. You do not need to find God. He'll find you. But you do need to surrender to Him and live. We're going to talk more about these big themes, fear and love, 
by doing our jobs, living in His presence. So God's presence is the big ideas, the big idea. Um, Last line. And this idea, these ideas about forming and filling creation, God bringing equilibrium and balance, humans having high function, inherent value, and spreading God's presence, these ideas are revolutionary theology. These ideas are still monumental on planet Earth. Not all people believe this. All faiths do not lead to this God. All systems of theology do not lead to this God. This is still singularly phenomenal and powerful. When we see God's will for our lives in Genesis 1 and 2, it is completely unique and completely revolutionary. Our theology is going to flow forward and repeat this over and over again. Does God want humans? Yes. To be his slaves? No. Just to punish them? No. He wants to share his presence with us again. On the back wall over here, I've, I've dug through my library and the church library, and I have several books that you can borrow. If it has my name in it, it's mine. Bring it back. If it says Graceway in it, you can keep it. Or bring it back and grab another one. Only grab one book at a time as you finish them. I have a lot of books back there on the presence of God. On the far left side, I've got some some biographies of individual Christians who through through the years of church history have learned to live with God's presence every day of their lives. And it changed them. And it changed their nations change their jobs and their understanding of everything. I have some devotionals that I recommend that really talk about God's presence. And in and, and a short amount of time, in a morning five-minute reading, are going to put their finger right in your chest and say, today you're supposed to live for Him. And they're powerful. Some of them go over my head, and I have to read them again and again because they're from people who understand the importance of God's presence better than I do. In the middle, I've got some, we've got our gentle and lowly book, if you're afraid of God, if you think God is, is ruling and reigning and wanting, wanting to bring out judgment into your life, you need, to, you need to read how the Bible presents Him. He is a God of mercy and grace who is willing to forgive those who come to Him. He's not looking to crush us. He's looking to reunite with us. He is an open-handed God who wants to be with us. He wants us to live in His presence, not under His authority, And not just for him, as if he was distant, with him. That is amazing. That's what I'm seeing in Genesis 1 and 2. He's there in creation, inviting all of creation to be in his presence, and he's commanding humanity to live that way and spread it. Spread it. On the far right, I've got some deeper books. If you're uh, much of a reader, we've got some thicker books for you to go through because, you know, you're going to blow through 100 pages in an hour, Riley. Yeah. Um, Riley, you should be the first one over there and grab the one that says with. There's a little book called with over there. Anyway, commercial over. What do I see in Genesis 1 and 2? 
I see the God of Israel claiming to be the only God. And he's inviting humanity to live with him and spread the knowledge of God, the presence of God, throughout all of creation as they go to work, as they have families and live in communities, and as they learn to rule and reign on this earth with, the, with what God has made forever. Eden. We call it paradise. And it's not a place. It's a person. It is God above. Let me conclude by asking you. I'm not even moving. But that's my sign to finish. Go ahead and mute it. Put me on there. There you go. Let me ask. Deep breath. Let's regather for just a second. Where is God's presence showing up in your life right now? Are you anxious? Are you stressed? Are you weary? Those are signs you are lacking in his presence. Are you confused? Are you without hope? Are you frustrated? Are you lonely? Are you depressed? All of the troubles of life are reminders to us that we can only find what we need when we realize God's presence is with us. He wants it to be with us. That is the life of Jesus. Jesus came to offer us his presence. I am with you always. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. That's comforting. Even when I forget about him, even when I run, run away, he will leave the 99. That's his job. And he will find me. He finds us right where we are, right where we need him. Where do you need him today? Think about that. Stand with me. Close your eyes and pray with me. With every head bowed and every eye closed, do you need more of God's presence? I do. I do. Do you want it? There is no secret formula. There is no secret prayer. There is nobody else who can put you in God's presence. God's presence is only uncovered, discovered, and lived in by those who seek him and spend time looking for him. God, help us to carve some time out of our schedules this week. To come chase after you earlier in our days. 
giving you the better part of our days. Give us eyes to see where you have already blessed us, already worked in our lives. Give us hearts that are content with little. Give us minds that focus on you instead of ourselves. As we read your word, God, please send your spirit to help us understand it and to see our place in it right now. We need to see you in all of it. And as we give you the time and more and more time in our lives, God, we're trusting you. We are trusting you to slowly reveal to us where we can work the best, help multiply your kingdom, and where we can rule and reign over our own hearts, saying no to sin and yes to your spirit. Oh, what a life. A life with you and in your presence. God, that is our prayer. So as we sing, as we enjoy the rest of this holiday weekend, let your presence be on the forefront of our minds. Help us to see where you are at work. Help us to join you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine, I can sing all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. dark, but I am not forsaken, for by my side the Savior He will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need His power is displayed. To this I
fate I dread, I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overflow the grave. To this I hold, my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released. I can sing, I am free. Yet for today is from Psalm 16 verses 7 through 11 I will bless the Lord who has counseled me indeed my mind instructs me in the night I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand I will not be shaken therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices my flesh also will dwell securely for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. You are dismissed. <laughs>